Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And that intro music that you heard was brand new. That was from Steven Schreffler and Jared Taylor. Uh, they did us a favor, reached out to us and said, hey, we want to do your intro music for free. Uh, and we think they absolutely nailed We're it. We're like, uh, yeah, okay. Absolutely. Um, they're the, from the Barbary Sound. You can check their website out at thebarberysound.com. Uh, absolutely digging it. That's probably, maybe with a couple of tweaks, going to be our opening theme song from here on out. Um, but it's pretty legit. Yeah, I'm, I'm into it. I was uh, surprised. I'll yeah. put it that way. Like, a lot of times, you know, when people reach out like that, and it's like, okay, yeah, it's, it's awesome. They want to be nice and, and help out, and we really appreciate that. And then it's like not super great but I, I don't know i was super psyched about the uh the intro music that they ended up with so absolutely so we're definitely psyched thanks again to steven and jared uh, again you can go to their website at thebarberysound.com to check out their music and uh, we are indeed doing this show on facebook live once again i think we learned a bit from our last facebook live experience so we're no longer switching the phone from hand to hand those of you who are watching <laughs> the live feed uh and those of you who are going to catch the video on our facebook site that's facebook.com forward slash better rivals and before we get into the rundown, of course, what are we drinking? Well, I'm drinking a 78702. It's a Kolsch uh, from a local Austin brewery here called Hops and Grain. Uh, David, uh, he's drinking a Zomer Pils. No Pils, idea what this is. Yeah. A Zomer Pils, uh, some Belgian yeast all up in that Pilsner. Again, another local Texas brewery. But let's get to the rundown because we've got a lot of news. Just kidding. It's still the off season. <laughs> Uh, one is, of course, going to be something I thought was super interesting, and that was the roast of the 49ers. This is something that the Reddit NFL subreddit is doing. And basically, it's just a way for teams to roast um, the teams. They go through all 32, and the 49ers roast was this week. They had a couple of choice ones that I thought were really interesting. Top-ranked comment, which I think is a reason there's the top-ranked comment, uh, is Chip has had a lot of trouble connecting with star players on a personal level, which is fine because the Niners don't have any star players. I really wish I had a rim shot. Like, but I mean, not wrong, <laughs> not not wrong at all. Yeah. Uh, at the point at which our uh, retired right tackle put up Instagram videos of him doing drills against a junior college defensive end, and people are losing, guy. and people are losing their their minds over it. Like, yeah, that's that's how talent starved we are, and it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. Um, as we're gonna get into, we're gonna touch on uh, on that uh, very problem here shortly uh, when we talk about some of the ninety man uh, roster rankings that Niners Nation is doing right now. But uh, yeah, it's it gets ugly in a hurry at the top. You, you get a, you get a few players in there, like okay, I like these dudes, and then uh, goes downhill very quickly from there. Uh, a couple of other ones I thought were really good. This was a conversation between two Reddit users. It says the Warriors will probably lose fewer games than the 49ers. And then someone else goes, you mean again? Because <laughs> that happened, that last, happened year. last year. Yep. Uh, and then the response was, and they won the same amount of championships. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Still hurts. hurts. Still hurts a little bit. Um, hey, remember yeah. that time that they uh, got KD? <laughs> yeah. And they have like the three best shooters on the planet on the Absolutely. same Absolutely. Uh, David, David's spirit animal is Steph Curry. Uh, and of course, Kevin Durant went to UT, and I'm a UT alum. So I mean, it's Love just Kevin Durant. Love everything about. And I'm a Warriors fan, so I mean, yeah. it all it all works out. It really does. Um, uh, and I'll leave you with this one. Actually, there's two. One, Alex Smith has been your best QB in recent memory, probably the best Steve Young can remember too, which I thought was really funny. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Um, and then hashtag concussion. Jokes. Yeah. Lastly. Uh, it was one about Jed York, and it was like the, the worst thing about Jed York, and I'm not reading I just remember it. I don't know where it went here on the, on the agenda, but it's like the worst thing about Jed York is not that he 
you know, is... I, I'm looking. I don't know how you lost it. It's the worst part about Jed York oh, isn't that he ran the team into the ground, fired a wildly successful coach, and completely gutted a Super Bowl team while alienating players, coaches, and fans alike. It's the fact that he's 36. So just remember, 49ers fans, he might outlast you. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> the, the truth hurts. It really the does. Truth really hurts. Absolutely. So definitely give that Reddit thread a read if you're not familiar. Go to the, I think it's in the NFL sub, not on the 49ers sub. They may yeah. have cross-posted it, but give it a, it's, it's fun reading. And don't take it too seriously because, honestly, some of it's true. So next then on the rundown is going to be something that's going to come out over the next several weeks on Niners Nation, and that's going to be a rankings over, I think Fuji's going to do it over a week at least or two. Uh, I think nine days. He's going to do, uh, so 90, 90 players, day. yeah, going to do 10 each day. So it's basically, there are 10 contributors to the Niners Nation site that he pulled for rankings. David and I were among them. And we just ranked the roster right now 1 to 90, and Fuchs is taking an aggregate number of those rankings and putting them up on the site 10 by 10. So we figured that we would reveal our top 10s and then maybe appoint out a player or two that we think might have ranked differently than most. Uh, and so we're going to do it uh, basically a little bit differently. We're going to go 10 through 6 first, and then we're going to do 5 through 1. And, and then we'll talk about the one player that might be ranked a little bit differently. That person may not be in the top 10 that we mentioned. So, David, let's let's kick off this top 10. Let me go ahead and pull up my rankings. Um, and we'll start with you. What were your 10 through 6? All right. So at number 10, I had Eric Reed. Uh, at number 9, it was Torrey Smith. 8, Ian Williams. 7, DeForest Buckner. 6, Eric Armstead. So really defensive line heavy. Kind of my general... So I, I guess... Fuchs didn't really give us a lot of uh, guidelines here for how to go about these rankings. So, nope. so to kind of give you uh, some very quick background as to how I approached these rankings, uh, it was definitely more projection. So, and, and specifically for 2016 and, and how I thought these players would uh, develop and perform over the next year. Um, I didn't really honestly take into account like uh, the injury stuff or... Uh, Aaron Lynch's suspension, as we'll get to uh, when we get to five through one. Um, I mean, I, I considered it, but I, I didn't let it affect the rankings too much because one, Aaron Lynch is is the most significant one, obviously, and he's still one of the best players on the team. And I don't think that really uh, changes anything because he was suspended. And two, the only really significant injury that they have to deal with right now is Ian Williams. And uh, we're still, you know, kind of uncertain as to where that's going to be. Uh, or like how that's going to play out and, and what he's going to look like in 2016. But uh, I, I still was impressed enough by his, especially his, his last half of 2015. And with where this roster is at right now, that I, I really just couldn't justify dropping him down too many spots. So yeah, I think D line heavy in, in that 10 through six area. Definitely. Um, I, I think that's probably the strongest position group on this roster right now. And so uh, I, I ended up with a, a, quite a few defensive linemen toward the the top, like twenty five or so of my rankings. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was what I had there. Anything stick out to you with that? Like anything that uh, a little surprising? No, nothing surprising. I so I took it. I took the approach very similarly, but I I did one thing in that I factored in injury and did more of what I felt their impact was going to be on the season. And and this is impact specifically to the Forty ers not necessarily impact in a vacuum, right? I, I think an impact player on the 49ers doesn't have as high, as high of a bar to cross to become <laughs> sure. an impact yeah. player. So it's not like I'm saying that these top 10 are going to be um, you know, Pro Bowl players or, or players that should be considered as, as all pros. 
I tried to get Fuchs to to put in some kind of of kind of categorization where you would say, you know, I think these people are blue chip all pros. I think these people are pro bowlers. These people are starters at the NFL level to give you a bit of context. So without that context, you know, note that for me, this was really just about what I felt their impact was going to be on the 49ers next year. And so I did take injuries into account and I did take suspensions. So that that being factored in, then my 10, my number 10 was Quinton Dial. My number nine was Eric Reed. My number eight was Bruce Ellington. My number seven was Aaron Lynch. Aaron Lynch being knocked down from, I think I had him at three or four um, before the suspension, but missing a whole quarter of the season is kind of a big deal. Uh, And then number six is Eric Armstead. DeForest Buckner for me rated at 11. I I put Quentin Dial just a bit above him because I I think the rookie learning curve is going to be. Yeah, I think he'll kind of round into form and have a good second half the season. But I think Quentin Dial right now, um, is probably our second best defensive lineman. The big reason why I ended up having DeForest Buckner uh, is as high as I did, which again was at number seven, um, was it really a couple things. So one, uh, it was really just the the sheer. T- I was very very high in DeForest Buckner coming out, and I think from a talent level standpoint, I mean he immediately steps in and becomes one of the most talented players on this roster. Um, and then the other thing too, uh, especially is if we're looking at this like. At the end of the season, if we were to look back at this list and and then try to re-rank things based on what actually happened, like I feel like his impact is going to be more noted than somebody like Quentin Dial because Quentin Dial, right, his impact is going to come more in the run game. Like he's going to be in there in base situations. Um, and, and I still had him very high. I had him at 13. Um, so, so it's not like I think he's a, a bad player by any stretch. But um, I, I think where we see DeForest Buckner make an impact during his rookie season, especially, is in with with his pass rush. Like I think it's in those sub packages as an interior pass rusher, and especially with somebody like Aaron Lynch out for four games. Like he has an opportunity along with Eric Armstead to really be the top pass rushers on this team, you know, early on in the season and, and really throughout the, re- the the course of the season. Do you remember that one time where you wrote an article about Quentin Dial and he heard about it and got mad at you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, oh my God, that was quick, a quick aside. Cause it's actually a pretty funny story. Um, yeah. So apparently, so I, I had an article about Quentin Dial and his performance in one of the games, uh, at the end, towards the end of last season. Um, I, I forget exactly which one it was, uh, off the top of my head, but, um, yeah, there was some things that I called out and, uh, that, that he didn't do so well. Like there were a couple instances where he got like pancaked and just got put on his back. And, uh, and I found out later, uh, through, through a third party that he had read the article and was super pissed about it and was like <laughs> going off about how this person clearly doesn't know scheme and doesn't know, you know, what we're trying to do and all this stuff. And I was like, that all may be know, true. Look, man. Like, I'm not going to dispute that necessarily, but it doesn't you don't need no scheme to know that you shouldn't be on your back with a lineman on top of you. Like, <laughs> all right, like that, that's pretty cut and dry. And those were the plays that I called out that were negative. And I had I feel like it was mostly positive plays that I called out in it the was. article. Um, but yeah, pretty, pretty funny. Story. It was. All right. Well, David, then give me your top five. Who did you rank um, five through one for the 49ers, both based on projection uh, and skill for 2016? So at five, and this one was one of the the more difficult players to rank for me. I had Navarro Bowman, um, and and it was difficult because obviously on one hand, you know when he's at his best, he's probably the best player on the team. Um, but he he was not himself last year coming back from that injury. Um, you know he wasn't the same sort of dynamic player in the past game, especially like I think the run defense was there, especially as the season went on. Like he he really didn't suffer too much uh, in that department, but. 
everything that he normally did in the past game was kind of the part that set him apart from your typical inside linebacker before the injury. Uh, and that stuff wasn't near what it was. And so I'm, I'm a little concerned. I mean, I feel more optimistic about him, you know, being another year removed from that injury, which is why I still have him as high as I do. Cause if it was purely based on performance from last season, I'd actually probably have him much lower than that. Um, but I think he he's able to bounce back uh, and, and kind of get things back on the right track, even if he doesn't quite get up to that pre-injury level. So I had him at five. Uh, Jimmy Ward at four, who definitely a big fan of Jimmy Ward. Like we've kind of been on the the Jimmy Ward bandwagon from the beginning, and uh, we were the only people on the Jimmy Ward bandwagon. Yeah, after, after the the, the Brandon, Brandon Marshall, Marshall massacre, um, and and that it was bad. Like you're not you're not going to hear a word from us trying to justify that performance. Like it was terrible. But again, it was his second game. Uh, in the league and in games like that as a rookie defensive backer to be expected. Uh, and I think since that point, he's really been a fairly steady presence and been pretty consistent. And then finally last year, you know, we started to get some games where he showed some flashes of, of some playmaking ability there. So uh, I, I, I expect big things from him this year. Um, so I have him at number four. Carlos Hyde at number three. We've talked a lot about him. I think he's a great fit for Kelly's system. Uh, the only question with him is injury. If he stays healthy, he's going to be fantastic. Um, Aaron Lynch at number two. Um, and, and so again, this is with the suspension even considered. Um, this is a guy that I think was the best defender on the team last year. Um, and I don't think it was really that close. You know, maybe Ian Williams wanted to, to make a push there toward the end of the season, but from, from beginning to end, it was really Aaron Lynch and he didn't put up the sack numbers that you would typically like to see from, uh, this kind of premier, edge rusher but his pressure um, numbers were there the pressure numbers were there right and and what we see is the guys that get pressure eventually they start to convert more of those to sacks sacks are more uh kind of random and you see more variance uh there from year to year but the pressure numbers have been good ever since he's come into the league uh and, and i expect that we'll see once he comes back we'll see some of those pressures turn into sacks and, and he'll kind of make a more more of a name for himself uh number one was the easiest one on the entire thing and it's joe staley um dude's yeah. awesome feel super bad that he has to play on a, on a shitty team kind of in his twilight years here. But uh, I think he's still one of the better tackles in football. And my top five, I'm actually going to go with number five is Jimmy Ward uh, for all the things that we said before. Number four is going to be Torrey Smith. I think Torrey Smith, I ranked him high here and I ranked Bruce Ellington in my top 10. I'm surprised you didn't say anything about that. Um, I, I had him at 11, so yeah, I mean, I, I mean, love I, the dude. We're, we're going to talk about why here in just a minute. Yeah, we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about Ellington here at length in just a minute. But Tory Smith, I feel like, is the burner that Chip Kelly is going to love to get the ball to, and he is someone who has a clear and definite role in Chip Kelly's system. The 49ers are going to throw a lot, and not just because of Chip Kelly's system. They're going to throw a lot because they're going to be down, and that means they're going to have to throw to catch up. And when you throw to Torrey Smith, good things happen. And and for me, this was, again, not just about numbers, but also about impact. And Torrey Smith is a guy who takes the top off of defenses. Defense are going to have to adjust for that. And that means that he will have an effect on the team, even if that number, even if that isn't shown up in the stat sheet. So for me, it's it's going to be Torrey Smith. I also think he's the best wide receiver in the league. I'm, whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry. On the team. Whoa. On the team. Let me take a step back there. Best wide receiver on oh the team. Oh my god! Send him all the tweets. Somebody, oh somebody, cut that out. It's it's there. We need to preserve that forever. No, please don't. Uh, best wide receiver on the team for a system and a coach that loves to throw to wide receivers. So Torrey Smith was a number four. Carlos Hyde was my number three. 
I think this is a guy, again, who health is the only factor towards putting a ceiling on him. Well, and the fact that we're probably going to throw a lot because we're behind. But Carlos Hyde, love the way that he runs and love what he does for this offense. Navarro Bowman, for me, is number two. I'm I'm trying to do my best to project the last five to six games of the season over the course of the next season. I think that his knee injury was ghastly enough that it might take him a little longer than most to recover. And I hope even if he comes back to 85% of the Navarro Bowman that we know and love, he's still the second best person on this team. Um, and so that's that's kind of why I would put him at two. And there's and there's reason to be optimistic there. Like, I, I forget if we've made this comparison before, but like if you're looking for an optimistic comparison, Geno Atkins is the guy like yeah. he had the ACL injury. He wasn't the same player the first year back. And all of a sudden last year, another year removed. Uh, he was fantastic again. So, yeah, it, it certainly wouldn't be surprising to me to see Bowman kind of take a similar track. And number one, best player on the team. Again, super easy. Joe Staley. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it's because of the way that he screams. <laughs> when he's not really injured nope yeah, he's not it's a really, really good one yep that's uh i'm gonna go ahead and say scream factor uh definitely definitely up there uh so that's gonna be our top 10 if you've got did questions. you want to call out one other player like one or two oh, players yeah. really quick that you think you might we'll go really really quick yeah um, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this because we got a, i think a lot for me to. um i think what a lot of people want to know is where'd you put the quarterbacks for me it was Kaepernick 21 blaine gabbert 22 um and i mean they weren't that far i mean apart. i took I, I took kaepernick 20 and gabbert 23 yeah so. um but for me i think the player that i probably ranked super high compared to more most other people is going to be lj mccray i ranked him at 29 and that and that to me is not because he is going to be a starting safety or an impactful safety to me that's a special teams guy he is a high weight speed guy. He's fast as all holy get out. He made some really good plays on special teams last year. And I think he's going to be our, um, you know, 2011 Blake Costanzo for the Jim Harbaugh team on special teams this year. So I think because of that impact on special teams, I ranked him that high. Um, and, and I don't think that, I mean, I don't know where you put him, but I, I would guess that other people wouldn't rank him as high because they wouldn't have necessarily considered that. Yeah, I mean, I had him at 60. Um, I just had to, to scroll down there. Like, and, six, and I think, six, zero, 60. Six, zero. Um, and, and I think the you know very quick thought on that is, uh, for me and how I value special teams, I really think of it as more... Uh, so I think some people may the redheaded stepchild like you, you have can them. Say it. No, not even necessarily that. I mean, it, I I don't think it's as valuable, right? So I, I think that there's they're not three equal parts when you think offense, defense, special teams, right? Like a lot of people will try to throw that out there to hype up special teams, but really when it comes down to like what makes an impact on your win loss record and in your performance over the course of a season, I think it's closer to three parts offense, maybe even four parts offense, three parts defense one part special team so even somebody that has uh, a large impact unless they're just like a, a special return man like a Devin Hester type of thing um, it, it would be hard for me to put a special teams only guy that high um, I'm gonna throw out two players really quick one low and, and one that I think might have been higher uh, the low one is, is Ahmad Brooks um, I had him at 44 uh, which is below Kelvin Taylor and just above Eric Pears um, I, I just Kelvin Taylor, huh? All right. The dude uh, in this, this is Brooks. Like he's old, like he's going to be 32 this year. Um, guys don't like, he's been in steady decline for probably about three seasons now. And guys just don't bounce back from that. Like, I, I think the, he's going to fall off the cliff here very soon. And, and, and I'm kind of betting that that's this year, that's sooner rather than later. So I have him quite a bit lower. Um, somebody that I have, I think maybe a bit higher than most will uh, is going to be Dante Johnson. Um, Dante Johnson, I had at 14, 
um, which is actually the second cornerback. So Jimmy Ward obviously was at number four, um, but I had him as the second best cornerback on the team, and I had him yeah quite a bit higher than, than a lot him, of guys. I had him um, at 18. I had him so, at 18 behind Jaquaski Tart, actually. Yeah, I, I just think, you know, we've talked about him a little bit in the past, but I, I think this is a guy that's impressed whenever he's had an opportunity to get on the field. Um, and, you know, whether or not he's going to get an extended opportunity this year, who knows, but um, I, I've been very impressed with him whenever he's been on the field. Where did you, I think this will help wrap up the discussion on the defensive backs and put a fine point on it and say enough without saying a whole hell of a lot more. Where did you rank uh, Tremaine Brock? Ooh. Um, let me, uh, let me scroll down here a bit. Wow. That's that I, I'm yeah, not editing out the pause. He's still looking. Well, I, yeah. I had him at 23. I had him. There back, we go. Uh, okay. So I had him not too far. I had him at, uh, at, at 18. I had okay. him, I just, yeah, skipped over. Him. I didn't think he was as close to, and I had, I had close. him at 23 and that's kind of how we feel about the, the defensive backs as, as they go. So, so that's going to be our rankings. Definitely keep up with those rankings on Niners Nation. Fuji is going to post, again, the aggregate numbers. So you're not going to see just the pure rankings that David and I discussed here. You're going to see an aggregate of Though all he is, 10 contributors. He is going to post those at the end. So after yeah. we get through the, the entire like 90 through 1 countdown, um, he'll have a post in which we look at. He shows every individual um, ranking there. And then also I think he's going to, you know, if there's anybody that we're really low on or really high on compared yeah. to the rest. Like he'll kind of reach out for some comments on that. So we'll tell you this for both of us from about like 25 on it's pretty much crapshoot. Um, for me, oh. 53 on it, it was like, I just kind of ordered them based on whether or not I knew them. So I started struggling after like, six or something like that like i'm almost like oh my god i don't know who to put here and i had to go to the bottom and kind of work my way up for for a lot of it because i'm like let's get these other guys out of the way well if you've got questions about the rankings or if you've got questions about the next segment we're going to get into here definitely hit us up on facebook live i'm seeing some questions come through already we're going to give a quick pause at the end of the uh, bruce allington segment answer some of your questions on facebook live we're also going to answer some questions at the end of the show about the quarterback progression segment that we're going to do. And, and then we're actually going to cut those segments out, including this one right here, uh, out of the show that hits the feed and actually just answer them here on Facebook Live and you'll have them on video on Facebook. And we might post it as a special bonus episode next week because next week we won't be doing an episode because David's going to be moving to Pittsburgh. Womp womp. Uh, womp womp Wednesday indeed. So that about does it for the rankings. And, you know, really, there's not a whole lot of news here this week and and most weeks, unless, again, someone gets arrested or someone gets popped for drugs. So at this point, we thought we'd do something a little bit different and we'd bring you a player spotlight, a player spotlight uh, for a player that we think is going to have an impact in or for the 49ers next year, whether it be offense, defense or special teams, maybe a player that isn't going to be an obvious pick. Someone, you know, not like a quarterback or a wide receiver, Troy Smith or something like that, but someone that we think might have a breakout year. And for us, the first spotlight that we both immediately jumped on, that we both immediately agreed was someone that we wanted to spotlight was going to be Bruce Ellington. We really think Bruce Ellington is going to be someone that can shine in Chip Kelly's system. He only has like 214 yards, I think, on 14 receptions over the course of his first two years. Been dogged a little bit by injuries. But we think ultimately Bruce Ellington's skill set We think that his opportunity in this offense, the scheme, uh, and the fact that Chip Kelly can do some things with some wide receivers are really going to contribute towards Bruce Ellington having a breakout year uh, in 2016. Yeah, so I think when you you kind of start with the first of those, right, with that skill set, I mean, this is something that uh, has been really difficult to evaluate 
him as an NFL player just because there there haven't been a lot of snaps, right? He hasn't been on the field a whole lot because I think uh, the the previous coaching staffs haven't really known how to use this guy. Like they haven't known exactly what to do with him. And so he's kind of been stuck in this role where uh, it was like Tavon Austin early, right? Where he's just like relegated to the occasional fly sweep or reverse or bubble screen. And that's pretty much the only things that, that happen. He got Jeff Fisher. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's, it's tough to, to really make too much of, you know, what he's been doing as a pro, but, uh, you know, this was a guy who I, I really loved his skill set coming out of college. Um, you know, I, I went back and actually kind of read what it was that I wrote about him just because it has been a while since you really had to, to think about him, um, in, in having any sort of significant role on the team. Um, and, and this was a guy that again, his, his athleticism is off the charts, uh, 93rd percentile in, in peace park. Um, so he, he's got, he's a phenomenal athlete and that's also like, that's long speed, I think as well. Like, uh, I forget what his 40 was at the top, but so it was four, four, five, I thought. Yeah. So nothing like that's gonna, you know, make you go crazy like a Chris Johnson type of, of number, but he does have four, long four, sleep. five is not slow. I mean like that, eh, but it's, you know, four, four is like not uncommon for receivers at this point. Like it's fast. I'm not saying it's not, I can't run four, four, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think it's but it's, but it's pretty good. Like it, it's not the eye popping, like four, two, four, three type of numbers that you see every once in a while now from some of the fastest guys of the combine, but he does have good long speed. And, and I think where he really excels is, uh, the kind of short area quickness and the acceleration as well. Like the thing that makes him, I think, more effective on some of the deeper vertical routes, uh, which was something that he did have su- success on with, in college um, and the limited amount that we've seen him in the pros. Uh, he's had success with those as well. Um, but I think that's really more of a factor of his like acceleration off the line uh, and what what is happening sorry, right now sorry i just saw one of the facebook live comments come through and it says it just says i want to see david run a 4-4 <laughs> hey i think i ran like when in in the heyday right like in high school i think i ran like a 4-7 yeah, so that's um, that's uh we're not getting anywhere near that right no, now no absolutely um not. but yeah so so his you know he's a he's a fantastic athlete and i think the really the big question with him coming in was how does he develop as a route runner right and uh, the limited limited sample that we have right now is is certainly encouraging. So um, Matt Harmon, who is a fantasy football writer for NFL.com and and uh, kind of does some of his own stuff that's a little bit separate from that, uh, does this thing called reception perception, where he effectively goes back and watches every route run um, by most most receivers in the league. It's kind of every receiver over a certain uh, snap threshold. Um, but Bruce Ellington was somebody that he made kind of an exception for because of all the changes happening with the 49ers and Chip Kelly's scheme and and, and all of that. So he went back and, and did the reception perception for him. Uh, and the results were were really, really encouraging. So just to give you a, some quick background in that process, he watches every snap and he charts uh, a number of different things. Mainly it comes down to did he get open on that route, right? He has some other things like contested catches, but it's really this idea of success route versus coverage. Did he get open and what routes was he getting open on? So on deep threats, which are uh, one, again, we're talking about his long speed and about Bruce Ellington's athleticism. He beat cover or he had a success rate on over uh, or really something good for context is over 60% is good. The NFL average is 51. Um, and when you look at his success rate against deep routes, Bruce Ellington was at 62.5%. So he was above that really, really good kind of elite deep threat success rate against that not on that nine route, that kind of deep fly. 
But you also coupled that with the curl, which is usually a complementary route to that nine route. And his success rate on the curl route was 81.3%. Again, we're dealing with a limited sample size here, but that's really, really good. I mean, that's kind of off the charts good. On every route on the route tree, and here I'll actually, or rather on, on every route on the route tree, he successfully, or he actually did better than the NFL average. Uh, and really it was just the slant and the corner routes where he didn't do all that well. And so when you think of just his success rate overall on long speed routes, on complementary curl routes, um, and even on beating man coverage versus zone coverage, in a limited sample, Bruce Ellington was able to successfully beat different types of coverages really all over the field. So I think it's not just a matter of him being in a system that can highlight him where, or put him in space. Even if he's just lined up man-to-man, he's going to win, at least last season, he won on 70% of the 34 occurrences. So really, this is someone who exhibits skill because of, the, because of his athleticism, and now he's actually going to be in a system that can help highlight that. And so I think you put those two things together, and all of a sudden you've got someone who's poised for a breakout year. Right. It's it's a matter of I don't think he has to be this gadget player, right? Like I think there are some interesting and kind of more creative things that Chip Kelly will be able to do with him because he has this kind of, you know, versatile skill set and and you could really even line him up in the in the backfield. Um I don't know that you want to run it to him all that often, but even though he's a shorter guy, like he's got a thicker build. He's not uh, this kind of weak player like that was actually one of the things that stuck out when you watched his college tape was, uh, you know, kind of how physical that he played like he wasn't uh, afraid of contact like he was a good blocker. Um, he had success making kind of contested catches when he was down the field, uh, which is something that really is important, especially for that slot role in Chip Kelly's uh, offense, because a lot of times those those players are running down the seam, running across the middle of the field. Um, and you know, you just don't get a a lot of separation against NFL defenses all that often. So you have to be able to make catches with defenders in close proximity. Um, and so again, at least with this limited sample, uh, he's, he's been impressive so far. And I think when you pair that with now this, this increase in opportunity, right, we've gone from, uh, an offense when, you know, with when Harbaugh and then even, uh, to some extent last year where you don't have a lot of receivers, you don't have multiple receivers on the field, um, all that often, like it, it's, it's kind of below league average in, in most cases, especially when Harbaugh was there. Um, and so now we go to a coach that prefers to use three plus wide receivers a ton, right? So, uh, according to pro football focus, they had three plus receivers on the field with chip Kelly's Eagles 69% of the time last year. Um, over the last three years, the Eagles have run 114 more plays per season. So again, because of that tempo, we're, we're talking about just more snaps, like the volume is going to be there. So you're going to get more opportunities. It's more targets for everybody. Uh, and, and so we're really just going to see that kind of, you know, the, the amount of targets that, that can go around, especially with nobody proven, you know, after Torrey Smith, uh, the opportunity is going to be there for him to kind of seize a, a, a predominant role on this offense. And Jordan Matthews last season ran 533 routes from the slot, and that was per pro football focus. That was second overall. So again, it's not just his skill. It's not just the scheme, but you're going to see a lot of opportunity for Bruce Ellington to get the football. Um, and so you put all that together and you think, okay, but is this guy even on Chip Kelly's radar? And we remind you that, that at the combine, Chip Kelly said, and I quote, When you look at just a short time that I've seen film of him, I'm like, wow, that kid can do some interesting things. 
then it's our job to figure out how we can use that to help us win games. So it's a player that's already on Chip's radar. It's a player that has a skill set. He's an athlete. He's been successful in limited playing time. And, and we think that he can have a breakout year in 2016. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things kind of to, to wrap it up that's really going to be fun to watch with him is is how he gets used, right? So, you know, the Jordan Matthews comparison uh, is really good because Jordan Matthews spent, you know, most all of his time in the slot. But I really think with Bruce Ellington, we're going to see him, he's going to be kind of the move guy. Like a lot of times in Chip Kelly's offenses, guys get kind of, uh, because of the tempo, right? You don't have really time pre-snap to be moving guys back and forth to different spots. So a lot of times you have guys that are, I'm the outside receiver on the right side of the field, or I'm the outside receiver on the left, or I'm the guy that's in the slot. And they kind of stay in those positions. But Bruce Ellington, to me, is the guy that moves around a little bit. Sometimes he is going to be playing in the slot and kind of filling that Jordan Matthews-esque role. Um, Other times he's going to be on the outside, you know, doing more Deshaun Jackson-style stuff. And then other times you're going to see him move around in motion, line up in the backfield, like do some of the more creative things that you've seen from Chip Kelly's offenses. So I think uh, we're going to see him move around all over the place, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this year. But Scheme Month rolls on this week, and we've talked about already two defensive concepts and one offense, so we're going to come back to the offense just to even it out. We love balance here on the Better Rivals podcast. (laughs) We wanted to go two and two. Uh, And so what we're going to talk about this week is about quarterback progressions uh, and the passing game. Really, ultimately, what we want to help break down is the anatomy of a pass play. And while we don't have diagrams to show you and we don't have pictures to put in front of you here on this podcast, we do think that we can describe what a quarterback goes through and some of the keys that he looks for on offense because it's very, very important, we think, that when you're watching the game that you have a, a really base of knowledge about what a quarterback does uh, because it's something that we super we enjoy it very much, the kind of looking at, and we have looked at Cap and Gabbert for the last couple of years and even before that, Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick. And so we like to geek out on it, and we think that you will too. So really, this is intended to be kind of a passing game 101. And really, with the hiring of Chip Kelly early in the offseason, we've talked a lot about different run concepts and passing concepts. And these words we throw around often, and you hear about them kind of in, in the zeitgeist that is football. But we wanted to break it down a bit and describe what those were. Take a step back, if you will, and take a look at the basic framework for how the passing game comes together, regardless of the specific concept that's called. So we wanted to talk about really three things, and we're going to break down this discussion into three main component parts. One is going to be what goes through the quarterback's head before the snap. Two is how does the quarterback decide where to go with the football? And three, what is a passing concept, and how are all of those routes tied together into one thing that a quarterback can exploit when he's out on the football field? Now, as usual, the the disclaimer, we've talked about some of this stuff before, but different coaches might teach things differently and we're by no means attempting to cover like all of the possibilities. This is not going to be a 100% comprehensive way of looking at the way that a quarterback will handle his pre-snap reads or his post-snap progressions. We're really giving you or trying to give you a more simplified look to help you get a bit more enjoyment from the game you're watching at home. And we think that these concepts make sense. Some of the, the kind of books and some of the coaches really that we pull a lot of this from um, are varied. And we think they're just the ones that make the most sense. So it's by no means comprehensive. We're not trying to tell you that this is the Bible, that this is the panacea. It's just what we think makes sense in a way to order the way that quarterbacks view the offense, both pre-snap and post-snap. So with that being said, David, let's get into the pre-snap. What is the quarterback looking for pre-snap? 
So the pre-snap is really all about the the defense, right? So it's it's all about all of that work that the quarterback did throughout the week, watching film um, and, and kind of studying the defensive alignments and, and everything there really comes through in the pre-snap, right? It's about identifying what the defense is trying to do. Like the quarterback might have a number of different responsibilities uh, pre-snap, right? But you can tie most of them back to the defense. So, you know, they have things that are that are kind of, uh, more procedural that are like, you know, motions and shifts and things like that. And, and even some of those things are to see what sort of reaction they can elicit from the defense. Um, but then you get to things like setting protections, you know, making audibles, all of that stuff. It really comes down to what is the defense doing uh, and, and how can we kind of exploit that? So what we really want to focus on is is kind of what he's looking at from a coverage standpoint. So once he gets kind of those other adjustments made, setting the protections, you know, doing doing the other things he needs to do there. Um, on a passing play, obviously, he needs to have an idea of what coverage is going to to happen over the course of that play. So there's really kind of three there are three levels that of your pass defense that you're going to look at, right? Um, most quarterbacks and, and most, uh, coaches, I think, uh, tend to coach it this way. They're really going to start with the safety. So you're going to kind of move from the back of the defense down. So you're going to start with safety, come up, uh, to your cornerbacks, and then finally to your linebackers to get those three levels of your, your pass defense there. Um, safeties, safeties is pretty simple, actually. So there, there's kind of two basic families that you group safeties and coverages into. And it, it's really, is the middle of the field open or closed? What we mean by middle of the field closed is you have a safety that's sitting in the middle of the field, right? These are your cover one, your cover three defenses. So there's somebody there. You have your your deep free safety that's kind of sitting in the middle of the field waiting for, for something to come his way. Middle of the field open means that you have two safeties deep and they're split. So th- this is your cover two, cover four style of defenses. Uh, cover zero kind of gets grouped in here as, as well, um, though cover zero is typically going to be like a blitz heavy coverage, right? You only have your five guys in coverage. Everybody else is coming at the quarterback. Um, so those safeties are going to be likely uh, closer to the line of scrimmage, but it still does leave the the middle of the field open. So that's kind of the basic starting point. And, and we don't really need to get into there's a there's a ton of different coverages and variations and, and all of those sorts of things. But really what it comes down to uh, for being helpful for the quarterback and kind of categorizing these coverages and uh, making these decisions on the fly is grouping it into that middle of the field open, middle of the field closed style of coverage. So next you've got the cornerbacks. Next, the quarterback is going to look really at the corners to figure out exactly the, the character or the type of the coverage that he's looking at. With middle of the field open or mofo, which I think is funny because I'm a child, um, <laughs> or middle of the field close, he's got the safety component. But then he looks to his corners. And this is going to help the quarterback determine if this coverage is man coverage or zone coverage. Really, the quarterback has three keys. That's going to be the depth of the corner, the cornerback's eyes, and the cornerback's leverage. So the depth is just quickly defined as how far the, off the cornerback or off the wide receiver the cornerback is playing. When you're looking at a corner and you're like, why is he 10 yards off? Why is he 10 yards off? Chances are that's specific to the defense that's being called. Um, that's not just a decision the cornerback is making. That's a decision that's based on the structure of the defense, how deep he's playing off the line of scrimmage. Then the quarterback will look at a cornerback's eyes. Are the cornerback's eyes in the backfield or on the quarterback? Or are they locked on the receiver? 
it's an easy tell, right? If the eyes are locked in the receiver, chances are it's man-to-man or it's press, right? Because I need to see the thing I'm covering. If the if the cornerback's eyes are the DB's eyes, because cornerback and quarterback sound a whole it's hell of really a lot. It's really hard, yeah, right? Yeah. If the DB's eyes are in the uh, backfield or if they're on the quarterback, then it might be zone because you're looking at where the quarterback is moving and where the quarterback is going to throw the ball. Now, the third key is going to be leverage. Is that defensive back aligned inside or outside of the receiver? And this is going to tell you, again, some of the structure of the defense. The, an edge defender or a cornerback is going to want to use that boundary line as another defender if you're playing man. If you're playing zone and you want to kind of funnel things inside, well, then you're going to have outside leverage to push things to the inside. So you've got a couple scenarios that can help break this down. Right, Number one, if that defensive back is 8 to 10 yards off the receiver with outside leverage and that DB's eyes are in the backfield, then it's a good chance that it's zone coverage, right? Eight to 10 yards up the receiver, meaning that you're giving some space because you're in charge of space. Outside leverage and his eyes on the backfield, really, you're kind of keeping an eye on the quarterback. You're you're okay with passing someone off. Now, scenario two, if the corner is right up on the line of scrimmage with inside leverage and his eyes focus on the receiver, then the defense is likely in man coverage. That defensive back is looking at the man he's going to cover. He doesn't want to get beat inside and his eyes are focused on the receiver, he could care less really what the quarterback is doing. He's responsible for this individual. That's going to tell you that it's man. So the quarterback is going to walk up to the line, and independent of all the protections and all that, he's going to look at the safeties. He's going to say mofo or mofk. And then (laughs) he's... good effort. Yeah, right? Good job, good effort. Good job, good effort. But hey, you know what? I tried. (laughs) And then he's going to look to the cornerbacks, and he's going to look to his left. He's going to look to his right. He's going to say, what do I think? Is it zone or man? Um, and it gets really complex when it's zone on one side and man on the other, but we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, but that's what's going to help that quarterback begin to build the picture in his mind of what that defensive structure looks like. Now, when you get to the third level, right, you get to those linebackers. Um, linebackers really tends to be more of like the immediate post-snap confirmation of what your coverage is, right? So uh, typically the quarterback, once he, he takes a snap, he's looking directly down the middle of the field. And, and what he can see by doing that is two things. One, if the safeties rotate, right? So if they start out and you have this middle of the field open look and all of a sudden one of the safeties rotates back into the middle of the field, well, he can see that by by staring down the middle of the field. And the other thing he sees is the linebacker's reaction. So there's really kind of three basic actions that a linebacker can do post-snap. And this the, each will kind of help confirm what type of coverage he's facing. Uh, the, the first one is going to be he's going to drop. Right. So if he just kind of drops back to a spot, well, then that's likely going to be zone coverage. Right. He's getting back to his zone responsibility. If he runs away. So if he just kind of bails on his initial alignment, well, he's probably running out to his man coverage assignment. Right. He he has uh, a slot receiver, a tight end that he's not quite aligned directly over. So he's headed out to go uh, cover that assignment. And then the final thing is blitz. Right. So if he comes, uh, you know, down at the quarterback and he sees that blitz coming, that can let him know a couple of things. One, it can let him know that uh, if he knows that he doesn't have the protection to account for that guy, he may need to get rid of the ball quicker. Um, Or if he does have the protection, it can kind of let him know that, all right, I might be able to attack that vacated area um, with one of the routes that are in my passing concept. So linebackers, even though we're talking mostly pre-snap, linebackers is kind of that immediate post-snap confirmation of what's going on from the coverage end. And and so really what it comes down to is and why all of this is important is 
the pre-snap process is huge, 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 huge for determining where the quarterback is going to go with the ball after the snap. So post-snap, how does the quarterback then decide where to go with the football? He's made his pre-snap reads. He's looked at the safeties, and he's figured out whether it's middle of the field open or middle of the field closed. He's looking to his defensive backs, and he's saying, do I think it's going to be zone or man? And then he's immediately confirming, based on what the linebackers do in those in that first couple of steps after the snap, what his linebackers are doing or what the defenders' linebackers are doing to try and figure out and, and confirm post-snap. So now this quarterback has to locate and throw the ball to an open receiver. And this isn't some kind of natural God-given talent that you can't learn and that you just have when you're born. This is definitely something that can be taught. So what are the decision points that you need to go through when you're thinking about throwing the football? Really, this is a systematic process that's defined by the coaching staff. And there are a couple of key ways this happens. The first is going to be a progression. Now, a progression is where three or more routes are put together in a sequence for the quarterback to check in a specific order. And you, technically, you can have as many as five players in a quarterback's progression. But really, you, when you talk about or when you hear you know, full field reads by a quarterback, that's hardly ever going to happen. Really, when you've got Von Miller running down and trying to hit you, you probably only have enough time to get to about three receivers before you have to make a really, really rushed decision. So while you can see really complex progressions, chances are you're going to see really not more than three receivers in a progression, and they're just going to go in a particular order. So a progression, again, is going to be just a sequence of receivers that are set in order, and you have to follow that order to get from one to two to three. Now, a coverage read is going to be a little bit different. In this case, the action of the defense determines where the quarterback goes with the football. So rather than moving from receiver to receiver, rather than going one to two to three, the quarterback is going to read the defense and say, oh, you're in a cover two. Well, that means I'm going to throw between the safeties. Or they're basically going to know where or which wide receiver is going to be open simply based on the coverage. And this is going to be something that happens all the time in the NFL. Both of these kind of get intermingled. And really the evolution of this is going to be when both get combined. Because ultimately, a quarterback is going to be presented with, or not ultimately, but a lot of times, a quarterback is going to be presented with an if-then scenario. Colin Kaepernick, for coverage reads, was really, really good early in his career with one really particular if-then scenario, and that was going to be a smash scenario where basically you had a, an under guy and an, an over guy on a corner route. And if the cornerback kind of went down and covered the guy in the flat, then he threw to the corner route. If that defensive back kind of sunk and left the person in the flat, then he was going to go throw to the flat. That was a coverage read for Colin Kaepernick. It was a really easy look at one dude. If he does this, throw here. If he does that, throw there. That's a coverage read. A progression read, though, is going to be a little bit different, and it's going to have you go from one to two to three. And the best case scenario for a quarterback is when you can combine the two. Is oftentimes, you know, where you're going to say, all right, let's go ahead and put two different progressions on either side of the field. One's going to attack one kind of defense. One's going to attack the other kind of defense. Based on what you think your pre-coverage read is, go to that side of the field and then post-snap, progress. So while it used to be in the NFL that you would just do one or the other, 
Now the best quarterbacks, the Peyton Mannings in the world, the Tom Brady's of the world, are going to combine the two to increase the chances of them being right on any given play. Right, and it gives you, I think, some more flexibility, right? So a lot of what you're trying to do, and especially as the the game kind of continues to evolve a little bit, so many things are now starting to happen post-snap, right? So a, a lot of where the game is going is, Tempo, tempo, tempo. We don't have a lot of time pre-snap. We're going to try to get the defense into these kind of vanilla looks. And then we want to have the flexibility to adjust to what they do post-snap. And we've talked a lot about that um, from the sense of like run pass options and and being able to determine whether we want to run the ball or throw the ball based on the action of a specific defender. But kind of you can you can set up your passing concepts to work uh, in a very similar way where essentially, yeah, you start with that initial coverage read, right? So You're going to have your pre-snap read there that's going to give you an idea of what the coverage should be. Once you confirm that post-snap, now I know that I'm going to go to either, say, the progression on the right side of the field or the progression on the left. And and typically, when they pair those, you want to have uh, kind of some some complementary pass concepts there. So maybe the one to the left is a good passing concept to beat middle-of-the-field open defenses. And then the one on the right is for middle-of-the-field closed. And then that way... Once the quarterback's able to get that confirmation post-snap, he knows where to go in his progression. So that's really the the big thing. I think the other kind of thing in, that's important to note, uh, especially with kind of this, this combination of the two and, and the progression reads, is what is he looking for as he's moving through this progression, right? So uh, f- from this like very basic superficial standpoint, he's moving from one receiver to the next, right? He's going in this specific order and he's just looking to see if he's open. But more practically, when he's actually out on the field doing this, what he really should be looking for and kind of keen on is this idea of open grass. And, and this is the part where I think uh, Colin Kaepernick struggles the most is it's not getting through his progressions. It's knowing kind of when a receiver is open and when he can pull the trigger. So one of the things that Colin Kaepernick struggles with is anticipating these these routes, right? Knowing that the receiver might not be open right now but he's about to run into this kind of vacated zone, right? And so having that sort of anticipation is big. And so uh, a way that you can kind of teach quarterbacks to look for that rather than staring at the the specific receiver is kind of looking for these throwing lanes, right? Looking for the passing windows, looking for the open grass. So it's really the progression is, is rather, think about it rather than moving from one receiver to the next, they're moving from one area of the field to the next. So he might be checking, you know, the deep corner area, right? So he's looking kind of at that area of the field, and then he's going to come back down, you know, to the intermediate middle part of the field, right? So he's just kind of, the these progressions tie his vision, tied to his vision, and, and kind of let him know where to look um, as he's moving through there. And he, he's looking for, again, open grass. If, if there's space there for him to throw to, that's what he wants to kind of key on not necessarily this idea of focusing kind of lasering on the receiver because at that point it's too easy to kind of get caught up and, and, and stare down a single receiver and not move throughout the rest of your progression. And what you'll notice a lot of times in these progressions is that the one to two to three are wide receivers that are in a, that are in a logical physical area. So you're not going to go in a route progression from someone on the far right side of the field to someone on the far left side of the field to someone in the middle. Because that's valuable time for the quarterback to whip his head around. And then you're also tipping that to the safety or the corners. So typically a route progression is going to go from one to two to three. 
in a very logical space-based order. Uh, and so oftentimes it's really easy to figure out when you're looking at some film or some coaches film if you have the opportunity to do so, to look at the progression from one to two to three simply based on where the wide receivers are on the field. Yeah, and and so really, and that gets us kind of into this this final section that we want to cover, and and it's how what are these passing concepts made of? So it's a it's a phrase that you hear us mention all the time, right? These these concepts, right? With uh, with Chip Kelly, we talked a lot about uh, noise and four verticals, and in some of these different passing concepts that he utilizes. But what what is a concept like? What is what does that entail? Uh, and I think it's easiest to start with what it's not, right? It's not a play. Uh, if you think of just a passing play, it, it's really just the collection of routes that you happen to draw on your napkin, right? So like if you, anybody can go and design a play, like it, it's very easy to do. This dude goes here, the other guy goes there and, and you kind of work through your, uh, your, your play that way. I'm going to draw one right now on my sticky note. You can do it. Um, so when you think of passing concepts, it's, it's a lot more comprehensive than, than that, right? It's, it's kind of this way to think about the passing game and, and, and kind of what players responsibilities are. It's, it's making sure that the routes that you have, there complement each other. Um, it's knowing from a player's perspective, what the purpose of each route is. Why is, is that route a part of this concept? What is it trying to do? Um, how is it manipulating the defense? Uh, it's, it's the, the concept is how the quarterback's eyes and feet are tied to the routes and, and the time that those are uh, meant to break open. Um, and it's also not specific. So a play, right? You think of, okay, I have these receivers. They're going to go do this specific thing out of this specific formation. Concepts are something that adapts to any formation, right? So I, I know the basic structure of what this passing concept is, and I can align the players however I want to, and they should be able to pick up and figure out, okay, this is where, you know, I'm going to run this route. I'm going to run this route uh, and, and so on down the line. Um, so it's it's adaptable, right? You can run it from any sort of personnel or formation grouping. Um, and, and so, yeah, again, it's it's really, I think, just trying to understand what the the offense is trying to accomplish from a from the passing game perspective and, and make sure the big thing for the quarterback is that this gives them kind of this consistent picture through all the passing plays. Right. So rather than needing to learn 500 different plays, right, I need to know this specific route combination from this specific formation Maybe I only need to learn eight concepts, right? Eight passing concepts. And then I'm going to pair that with 10 to 12 formations. And I know that no matter what formation, no matter what personnel is on the field, I'm only going to run one of those eight concepts. And I'm going to get this consistent picture where I know what areas of the field I need to look at and who's going to be there. One of the most famous examples of this is going to be the, the Bill Belichick and Tom Brady ghost tosser combination. Where this is something they run all the time, and, and they run it from so many different formations, and they can run it with different personnel and different slots because really what it tells you is, is that there's two words, right? It's ghost tosser. Both of those refer to different concepts they run on different sides of the field, and these concepts are paired perfectly such that one does attack you know, kind of a man, the other attacks kind of a zone defense, and so you're saying to yourself, okay, now I'm Tom Brady. I've seen a lot of football in my life. I can pretty much figure out whether or not this is man or zone. And based on that, I know I'm going to look to the ghost side or the tosser side. And then I look to my post-snap confirmation and then I run through my ghost progression or I run through my tosser progression based on my post-snap confirmation. And then I go ahead and make that throw because I'm also a really good athlete and can make an accurate throw. And 
That's how Tom Brady becomes Tom Brady and the Patriots are the Patriots. And just to clarify, too, with the the ghost tosser, if you haven't heard that reference before, tosser refers to two slants, all right? the the two S's in the middle of tosser. Um, so you got two receivers on one side of the field, both running slants. Um, and then the ghost concept that they use is what uh, is more commonly referred to as like a stick concept, um, which I believe we covered. If you go back and listen to those yeah, Chip Kelly did. episodes uh, that, that we did shortly after he was hired there about his offense, uh, I believe we cover that concept there in, in some depth. So just to kind of give you a, a better visual slants on one side, stick on the other side. So I think this is a good then kind of segue into how routes are paired together in these passing concepts. And this was actually something that David introduced to me that I thought was super interesting. And it was a, a coaching video from Darren Slack. And, and this is a coach who put together what he calls the R4 system. And as the name implies, there are four different components. It's the rhythm, read, rush, release. Now, again, reminding you of the disclaimer, this isn't the only way that coaches teach progressions. This is just a way that we found was really interesting and beneficial for us on learning how to go through these progressions. And it's a fairly popular, like, yeah. it's a it's a fairly, like, widely adopted it's used a lot. system, right? Or, or, or even if it's not identical, it's very close. Yep. Like a, a lot of uh, a lot of books that I've read, like on different sorts of uh, passing game systems and, and whatnot. If it's not identical to it, it, it's very, very close. So this can at least give you I think this is a, a very good way to visualize it and yep. be able to pick it up on the field and, and really kind of know like, oh, OK, this makes sense as I'm watching this play unfold. Um, so so this system, I think, provides a good baseline. Also, it's a mnemonic and we love mnemonics because it help you remember, right? Four R's rhythm, read, rush, release. So what's the first R? That's the rhythm route. This is the quarterback's first option. This is where the ball should be thrown when that quarterback's last step hits the back of that drop. This is the ultimate kind of Bill Walsh three-step drop back foot hits, and then you transfer power into that ball, throw the slant, hashtag touchdown. So (laughs) this is, you know, ultimately when you think of that timing offense, that rhythm offense where the quarterback needs to release the ball at the back of his drop, that's the rhythm route. Some examples of this are the fade, the seam, the post, the corner, the speed out, the spot. Ultimately, it's like, all right, I know I've got Michael Crabtree one-on-one on on the outside (laughs) sideline, so I'm going to go ahead and hit my back foot and throw the fade. Yeah, so I think the the easiest way is to imagine more, because if you do five-step drop, right? I think five-step drop is is the most commonly used drop or if you're in the shotgun it's kind of like a modified like three three step, step. Yeah. um but the three-step game gets a little bit different because you don't have like everything is designed to be quick right so you don't have uh as many options in your progression um seven step is a little bit more rare uh and, and there's kind of some different things there so if you think of a more standard scenario of this five-step drop right rhythm again like you mentioned back of the drop this is my first guy and the timing, if you think about when all of those routes should break open, they should be breaking and, and kind of getting to the point where you would want to throw them the ball as he's hitting that back foot. Then if that receiver is covered, you move on to the read. The read is a route that usually takes a little bit longer to develop, right? So it's a second option. Um, and this is tied to the quarterback's hitch step. So as he hits that back step, okay, I see my rhythm route is covered. I'm going to hitch up in the pocket and I, that that is a trigger for me. That's my internal clock to know that it's time to move on to the second option in my progression. So, again, something like a dig, like a deep dig like that. If you think greatest show on turf, right, that 18 to 20 yard dig route, 
um, a, a deep curl, a comeback route, uh, drag routes, which is a shorter route, but it is something that takes a while. You know, it takes a little bit for that receiver to get across the field. So these these routes that are a little bit longer developing, this is typically your read route. Then finally, you have your rush route. So again, most in in most cases, especially at the NFL level, um, I shouldn't even say that, like at lower levels too, but you don't have time to really get through a lot of these guys. Like the, this idea that there's this five man progression that I'm going to look through the entire field. It's like, a full field. This whenever you hear the term full field get thrown around, immediately like your bullshit detector should be going off. Yeah, really, all that it means is that. They have the option as they go up, you know, to, to snap the ball to throw anywhere on the field. Right. But but things have to get narrowed down quickly because everything happens so quickly. Pressure gets there quickly. Like they have to be able to look at a couple of keys and know where to go with the ball. And they just don't have time. Like it's you know, I, I, I don't mean to like insult people's intelligence with this, but it's not Madden. But, but you're about like, to. That's, that's it, like it, when you for say some reason, no I feel disrespect, like, but I'm no about disrespect, to disrespect you. But uh, it's it's not Madden. Like you can't like the, the, these quarterbacks can't see everything at all times, right? So their focus has to be a little bit more narrowed. Um, they have it's, to have it's Madden 2004. It's the vision cone. <laughs> yeah, was yeah. that? I think it was like 2006. I think I hope. Well, you know what? I took a stab in the. I, I was a. Uh, I was really into Madden during that time. Frame. Nano blitzes. Um, so like, yeah, 2004 was the Vic cover. 2005, you had the the hit stick with the Ray Lewis. 2006, I think, was Vision Cone. If I remember really? Right. Good lord! You just pulled that out of literally your ass. Like that was Dude, just. I was. I played a lot of Madden wow. during those years. But we um, digress. The rush route. So the rush route. The rush route is is your your check down or your hot route, right? So uh, the, you can get to this in a couple different ways. If you've gone through your first two options, right? Okay, now it's just time to get rid of the ball. That that internal clock again. It's it's counting down. Neither of my first two guys were open. It's time to check the ball down. Um, or it can be something that's triggered by pressure, right? So if we go back to that scenario where the linebackers are blitzing and I know that I don't have the protection to be able to count for that guy, well, now I need to move to my rush route immediately, right? And, and this is going to be something that uh, it can change. It's, it's going to be backs out of the flat, you know, back sitting down over the middle. Uh, there's different ways that you can build in these sort of check down or hot routes. Um, but those are kind of the two main situations that a quarterback's going to get there, either near the end of his progression or uh, be, due to pressure dictating that I can't hold on to this ball and I don't have time to wait for for the my rhythm or my read route to open up. So I just need to get the ball out of my hands right now. Yeah, I think the best picture for the rush route to me is Aaron Rodgers when he takes his five-step drop and he drops back. And then you see him go, oh, that's not going to work. And you see him hitch a little bit to the left. And then he goes, oh, no, nope, that's not going to work. And he just kind of like takes a step to the right and floats a little pass out to the wide receiver in the flat who catches it for either a minimal gain or can break a couple of yards. That little release route in the flat, that's the rush route. And and the idea here, like, is is to try to calm the quarterback under pressure, right? Knowing that he has something available, mm-hmm. it's not. It shouldn't be this scenario where, okay, pressure's coming. Oh shit! I don't know, I don't what know to where do. to go. I need to panic and and get out of here and try to make something happen. It should be oh, okay. I recognize pressure. Boom, rush route, and I'm going to get the ball out of my hands quickly and and get it out there and move on to the next play. So it, it's it should be this idea of comforting the quarterback in a way where where he knows that he has this option if kind of shit hits the fan a little it's bit it's the snuggie it's the quarterback it's snuggie the quarterback yep. snuggie uh and then finally you've got the release so the three previous r's right rhythm read rush release 
This is effectively the oh shit handle of this entire system because it's time to go. At the point at which you've reached the release portion of the progression, you've got a bunch of people bearing down on you and you've got to run. You've either got to look to create something downfield outside of the structure of the play or you're basically going to run and take off with your feet because you're that good of an athlete. And at this point, you, you, I mean, there's really nothing else to say about this. You can, you know, when it happens. I mean, if yeah, you, the, the play is breaking down, yeah. right? You, you got to get out of there and try to make something happen. Yeah. And, and so really, in order for you to get this far, protections have to kind of be a big deal. And in order for you to be able to do a progression for you to go from rhythm to read to rush, you've got to have an offensive line that can protect you long enough for you to get through those three things. Otherwise, in the quarterback's mind, what you're going to what you're going to have happen is you're going to go rhythm, got to release rhythm, got to release. And that's what ends up happening when you have a really, really bad offensive line. And this is what I affectionately call David Carr syndrome, where you're so used to going from rhythm to release that if you don't see rhythm open, you're immediately looking to run and you get skittish and you're like, and you don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, all of your passing concepts break down because they're no longer concepts. They're one person routes with then a quarterback trying to do too much. Yeah, and and so I think the 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 two other kind of quick things to mention there is one with man coverage things are a little bit different. So and and not completely like a lot of times the progression still applies uh, because a lot of times there is this sort of like man beater route that is a part of each progression. So uh, if the quarterback recognizes man right away, like he should know that he has this option, but. The thing that can change a, a little bit is with man coverage, it becomes a lot more about matchups, right? So if I know that I'm, I'm I'm about to get man coverage and I have Julio Jones over here, like one-on-one, I might want to look that direction, right? Even if the progression might tell me to look at, uh, elsewhere. And then that may be saying, and these are all things that, uh, you know, obviously the coaching staff and uh, the players can work out and, and they're going to have game plan specific stuff that works in here as well. But Man coverage does become a little bit more about trying to identify advantageous matchups. So that's, I've, got, I've got Gronk against a five nine defensive back, and yeah. it's and it's man coverage. Like, don't give a shit what everybody else is doing. Like, I'm going to go ahead and, and take advantage of that matchup. So, and then the other thing is, and, and this one is, a, I think, a little bit more obvious. Maybe is protections are a big deal. Like, they, they are a very big deal. A lot of times, you know, coaches will begin with the protection, like. I know I've read a lot of stuff about coaches installing protections first so that the quarterbacks have an understanding of like how what the offensive line is doing, what adjustments that he can make, all that sort of stuff before they even get to the passing concepts that they're going to install uh, because it, it's that big of a deal. It doesn't matter how well your passing concepts are, are designed if you don't have enough time to throw the ball. So we want to mention that, like know that we didn't gloss over that intentionally or no, we did do it intentionally. It's just not our thing. Like like offensive line play and then specifically protections, uh, I think is kind of this complex thing. And, and at least for me, it's something that I haven't had really an opportunity to dive into a whole lot yet. So rather than kind of, uh, you know, risk giving you guys misinformation or, or kind of, you know, having things that aren't quite right, like we thought it would be better to just kind of skip that part for now, know that it's a big deal, but you probably want to look elsewhere uh, for your resources on that topic. So wrapping it all up then, 
you know, we've talked about pre-snap, what the quarterback is looking for. He's looking at, you know, mofo, middle of the field open or middle of the field close. Cornerbacks, linebackers, then post-snap, where do you go with the football? You're talking about progressions, coverage reads. And then lastly, you're talking about concepts, right? It's not a play, but rather a collection of routes run from a specific formation. And you've got the four R's that help you move through those progressions, the rhythm route, the read route, the rush route. And then the Colin Kaepernick special, get the F out route, which is the release route. <laughs> so when you put it all together, then a successful pass play is the result of five. Uh, I'll put easy in air quotes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Steps. I forgot to put those quotes yeah, in the, air the quotes, agenda. Uh, is a build your passing game by choosing which passing concepts you're going to run. Each coach feels like they like certain concepts. They want to run certain concepts or they know how to coach certain concepts. So that's what they're going to install. And this is where you tailor to your personnel, yep. right? Know what your quarterback's comfortable with. Know what you have uh, in, in terms of receivers and, and that can execute this stuff. Like personnel is a big deal here. Uh, I have a lot of man-beating wide receivers. I'm going to run a lot of man-beating concepts. Uh, I don't have a speedy wide receiver. I'm not going to run a lot of nine routes. It's just not going to happen. Uh, so that's number one. You build your passing game by choosing which passing concepts you're going to run. Two, the quarterback comes to the line of scrimmage and determines the coverage type. Three. Based on his coverage read and the passing concept called, he determines his progression. Which way am I going to go? Which progression am I going to use? Oftentimes now in the NFL, they're split half field, one or the other. And then after the snap, the quarterback's footwork leads him from one area of the field to another. I'm going to go logically from one to two to three. My feet are going to take me from one to two to three. This is what Bill Walsh always taught you. Your feet tell you where to go. Your feet tell you where to go. And then finally, the quarterback determines where to throw the football by looking for the open grass. They don't look for the open man. They look for open grass. You throw the receiver open. You don't wait for that receiver to be open. And that ultimately is what sank Colin Kaepernick personally. Um, or yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the big thing because, you know, I, I God, I spent like a, what felt like a million words talking about uh, whether Colin Kaepernick was a one-read quarterback a few years ago, kind of before things really, really tanked and... Um, and it was it was there like it's not he he doesn't have this inability to move through his progressions. It's just the thing that he struggles with is, well, two things, really. And, and it's throwing with anticipation, knowing when guys are about to come open, not waiting until they're actually appear open. Um, and two, it's dealing with pressure, like which is something that he's had to do a lot more over the last couple of years. And that's really kind of, uh, I think, exposed a lot of his flaws that he just did, we didn't have to deal with or see uh, in those early years. So it's it's all important it all ties together like everything is kind of related right if one uh sort of link in the chain is fractured then you know things get screwed in a hurry and and that's kind of what we've seen uh especially last year well that about does it for this week's episode so we're going to go ahead and kick off our brand new theme music and put that in the background here well, we have theme music. I know. Like our own, like you can't find that anymore. It's official. Else. That's yeah. correct. It's ours. It's, ours. it's all ours. Um, you know, this was a, a really, really fun show. We covered a lot of ground and a lot of content, but this is indeed going to be the last show that David and I are doing in one room together uh, because David is indeed moving to Pittsburgh. Uh, he's not becoming a Steelers fan. I've already told him to be wary of club bathrooms uh, because you <laughs> never know what's lurking behind that stall door. It could be a 260-pound quarterback just looking to wreck your shit. And you don't want, you don't want that. Nobody you, wants you that. You don't want that. Nobody wants um, that at all. 
So uh, let's go ahead and uh, and say <laughs> it's been a good run. The, the podcast is not in any way, shape, over. We've already, yeah, we're still going to keep doing this yeah, thing. We've talked um, about how to do it. We've talked about the best way to do it. Um, and so we're going to definitely try some things. Um, but yeah, this is going to be the last time for a good bit that we do a show in the room together. Um, so David, you know, it's been, it's been something, but you're now you're engaged. Oh, so many, wait, 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 wait to do the thing. I forgot. Yeah, no, we do. We do have proper outro music. Hold on that. While I do really, really enjoy that song, um, cause it's really, really good. Um, you know, thanks again to Steven Scheffler. I'm sorry, Schreffler. (laughs) <laughs> Not to be confused with Adam Schefter uh, and Jared Taylor. But there is actually something else. So when David <laughs> proposed to his now fiance, he did so at a karaoke kind of establishment. And this wasn't like American karaoke where you get up on stage and like you sing, you know, Bonnie Raitt or whatever. And everyone's like, yeah, <laughs> you're great. Um, or you sing Journey, Can't Stop Believing or Don't Stop Believing. And everyone's like, oh, my God, you suck. This is like I mean, more of a Korean karaoke experience where you're in one room and all of your friends are there and it's kind of a private room and everyone's singing. and Which is way better. It is way better. Dubs. But everyone in our friend group is pretty atrocious at singing. Uh, and so I figured that to outro this episode, the very last one, I thought it would be fitting for us to go out to our friends really singing <laughs> um, – Oh no. Yeah. So that's going to be uh, the outro. And so, David, uh, we're definitely going to get Shwasty Face before you leave, uh, but they're not yeah. going to see that. So Probably not. Probably yeah. not going to Facebook Live that one. That's right. Absolutely not. But, uh, but, dude, it's been awesome having you in the same room. We're still going to keep it up, even though you're not. Um, and yeah, I look forward to seeing what happens to y'all in Pittsburgh. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting. Um, I'm excited about it for a lot of reasons. Um, this one is gonna be some take some adjustment for sure. Uh, yeah, have fun with those seasons. Yeah, uh, it's I, I'm not looking forward to winter. Winter's dumb. It's not a thing that I like, especially want to do. Do you own a parka? No. So like the the that's like one of the things that I have to get is uh is some sort of coat like the most warm thing that I have right now is a hoodie. Like, just a basic cotton hoodie. I have... Um, Not gonna cut it. This is Texas. I have two jackets. One of them is a jean jacket. The other is a polyester shell. And that's it. I've I mean, got there's a, no... I've got a hoodie I never wear. There's no reason no. to have anything more. Like, the people that in, in Austin that pull out, like, their pea coats and stuff, I'm just like, fuck you. You don't need that. <laughs> there's, it's never fucking cold enough. To pull out your pea coat in Austin, like, he's not even talking about. Uh, you know, he's talking about a, a, a. Is it a petticoat? Is that what the P stands for? No, I think it's just P A. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't make the rules. Yeah, either way, um, you enjoy seasons. Uh, I'll enjoy beer here in my allergy-ridden. I know that's paradise. the other thing too. Is like I need to figure out what breweries are there and like what it's beers Pittsburgh I though drink. I feel like I there's mean, enough alcoholics there's, there that you're gonna have some good bunch beer. like I've already been informed of a lot but I just gotta you know gotta figure out what's good well I think uh for those of you listening right now um definitely <laughs> Sweet Caroline's still, still playing going. yeah um uh, definitely <laughs> if you're in the Pittsburgh area or from Pittsburgh um 
Definitely tweet David Newman. Uh, that's at David Newman with an underscore at the end. Correct. Two ends, in case you were wondering. And a U. Um, good Lord. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of consonants. The, like, it's the German vowels. spelling. All right. Like, um, but tweet at him some good places to go get some grub uh, and some beer while he's out in Pittsburgh. Uh, and you can always follow me at Better Rivals. Always check our rankings and articles on Niners Nation. And uh, that about does it for this week's episode. So... As always, go ahead and have Sweet Caroline Serenade you out <laughs> and go Niners. Hurting runs off my shoulders. How can I hurt when I'm holding you? That one's David. This is when I put the mic up to both I mean, of you. This is the final. So, so the thing that I'm just realizing right now is that people on Facebook Live can't hear any of this. No, they have no sure. clue. Um, hold on, hold on, don't ruin it. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.